first of all, just to think about a time when you found yourself in a situation where you've ended up completely out of your depth. Let's have a little think. It might be you've gone on a works night out and it's got completely out of hand and you've thought, oh, crumbs, what am I doing here? Or it might be you've gone for a job interview and you've, you've thought you've known exactly what the job is, but when you're asked the questions, you haven't got a clue. Or maybe you're a, a parent or carer and yours is the child at the nice party that's having a major tantrum, hitting the other children. Something like that. Could be all kinds of things. Well, some time ago, I found myself in a really awkward situation. As many of you know, I've got four daughters. And I've always tried to make time for each of them over the years, doing just kind of one-to-one -one things to give them a bit of time. And so one opportunity came up, and it was a, a mother and daughter dance workshop. And I thought, oh, what a lovely thing to do with my youngest daughter, Molly. And uh, so anyway, I, I booked on. Molly was okay about it, because I said it would be a lovely thing to do together. And off we went to the local centre where it was being held. Anyway, we went in, and Cecilia was running the dance, uh, the dance workshop that day, and she gathered us all round into a big circle. And there must have been about 14 of us, so it, was, you know, it felt okay. Anyway, she started um, with me, going around the circle, so she said, please introduce yourself and your experience of dance. So I said, oh, hi, I'm Helen, and my experience of dance is life's a dance, and I dance around the house all the time, thinking that was kind of normal, that's what most people did. And then she went around the circle, and it transpired that um, the other women, they danced with Bally Rambert. They'd done a professional course in commercial dance, or professional dance, uh, done a degree in dance. And suddenly, I'm sat there thinking, oh, crumbs, I feel a bit out of my depth here. And I can see the door, and I'm like, do I get up and go? And I can't leave Molly, and I'll be all right. Just got to just chill out, chill out. And then before, like, my mind is racing 100 miles an hour, before I had time to even think, she then said, I think we'll start the workshop by dancing our names. <laughs> like, dancing your name? How do you do that? Anyway, I hadn't got time to think. So all I could do was I stood there, and I went, Helen really embarrassing and then Cecilia did a whole like thing with her arms and kicking her legs out and other people did these like contemporary and honestly I just thought you know what I've either got to throw myself into this or get out and I actually decided to throw myself into it so the rest of the workshop I thought I'm, I'm going big here and I did and we had to make up dances that reflected our relationship with our daughters and then perform them in front of the group so I made up with Molly to her horror the womb dance and I recreated, I recreated the birth of Molly. <laughs> Do you know what? I loved it. I really, really got into it. Now, if you ask Molly, she has been scarred for life. So, <clears throat> Anyway, like I say, I had a choice to throw myself in or, you know, get out. And it's a bit of a tenuous link, but often I think... Those of us that follow Jesus, we talk about we want to get out there, out of our comfort zones, be stretched, whatever it is, to go to where people are at, be part of our communities, reach out to our neighbours. And to be honest, as a church, we are brilliant at doing this. That's what we're known for in all kinds of ways. Outward-looking ministries. I mean, more recently, it's been the miracle question, you know, just stopping strangers in the street and asking them what do they want God to do. Or um, healing on the street, you know, gathering, again, um, in little communities and asking people to come and be prayed for. And often, these one-off encounters with strangers are brilliant things that fire us up and help us step out of our comfort zone. But I've been personally challenged recently. I've been thinking a lot about what does it mean to reach out to people, choosing to engage with them and their lives over the long haul. 
It's more of a marathon, not a sprint. It's more um, exhausting often because we don't see instant things and we're, we're kind of having to be with them a, a, you know, a lot of time. <clears throat> People we find ourselves with over the years, colleagues, friends, families, and you know it's going to take more than a little one-off encounter, if only it was just that. But if you think about it, right from being children, we're with the same people for five years at school. If you go on to college, you're with them for another group of people for another two years. If you're students, that's another how many years. You know, I've known people in jobs for like more than 30 years. Hobbies we do week in, week out. Just people we're going to be connecting with. Now, as followers of Jesus, we can have a number of ways we approach communi communicating our faith. Now, it might be that you think, I'm just going to keep a low profile. My faith is my own, and it's just for Sundays. Or it might be, I'm just going to get it out as soon as possible, like a Tourette's. You know, I'm a Christian. Oh, thank goodness I've said it. You know, it's like relief. <clears throat> or we might find we become a bit weird. You know, like, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. I'm kind of a bit floaty. Or it might be we say too much too soon and we think, I've got to get in there with hell and sin and all of that. Or we just think, do you know what, I can't be bothered. I'm just going to compromise, go with the crowd, and I'll just ask for forgiveness later. Or we might hide. Or we might wear a big Jesus loves you sticker. Or we might think, do you know what, I'm just going to be friends with Christians. It's a lot easier. Now, they're kind of maybe not fair examples, but, you know, if I'm honest, I've done all of those over the last however many years. I really have. Three years ago, Tom and I decided to join a local gym. And, you know, the gym is actually where a lot of people uh, really find community and a sense of belonging. So we were kind of excited about getting stuck in. I'll come back to that later. More recently, I found myself spending the day and connecting with an imam, a Syrian refugee, and a young um, new Muslim convert. And I was working on, them on a project that would span for about a year. And I was asking myself the question, how do I build like genuine relationships for the long haul, but also find a way of connecting people to Jesus without expecting them to jump through hoops that I want them to immediately and making them feel like there's some sort of project with an end game. And not expecting them just to jump into my world. You know, my first conversation is, come to this, come to that, we've got a great church, da 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 But actually, entering into their world, and what does that look like? Anyway, I've been reading and thinking a lot about a few verses from Corinthians, which we'll look at in a minute. And I, I just wanted to get my head around them and hopefully uh, just explore them with you today. Corinthians um, is the New Testament, and it's written by Paul, who also wrote Colossians, which is the series that John and John are doing currently. Now, Paul's early life was actually marked by brutal violence, and he just relentlessly persecuted um, Christians and the early church. But actually, years later, Paul's life completely turned around as he had an encounter with Jesus, and then he was full on for advancing the kingdom. In Acts 9, you can read about that encounter, and it's, it's, a, it's a great read. And then his life just turned completely upside down. And he was just passionate about reaching people for Jesus in any way that he could. That was his life's mission. So 1 Corinthians 9, 20 to 23. It'll come up on the screen or look it up in your Bibles or on your clicker things. So verse 20, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, as so to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, 
so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of took me a while to get my head around it. I kind of thought I didn't quite know what he was on about. So I kind of had to then stop and think about it for some time. And Paul clearly was a unique character. His passion, though, is contagious. And when you read uh, the writings, the letters of Paul, you cannot help but get kind of fired up and encouraged. And just everything he says kind of jumps out at you. And he is willing to go anywhere to anyone that he might be able to connect with and bring God's kingdom. He was known for breaking religious rules, mixing with all kinds of people. He was just fearless. He didn't feel the need to protect his reputation, yet never and didn't compromise his behaviors or his passion for Jesus and the truth. He was able to engage people wherever they were at, getting involved in whatever ways that would earn him the right to talk about Jesus. Whether they were religious, non-religious, immoral, moralist, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. Now, he didn't take on their way of life that would have been inappropriate at all, but he kept his bearings in Christ, but very much entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. Now, I actually think Paul is just a brilliant example for us even today. He was willing to change over and over. An example is food. He knows that food offered to idols is fine to eat because idols are nothing, they have no power. But if that creates a problem for someone who doesn't have his confidence, then Paul will give up eating meat. I'll eat if it helps, I won't if it doesn't. All of his decision-making making is driven by the question, what will help the gospel? He's willing to, to be like a Jew, go to the synagogue, observe certain festivals, if it means reaching the Jews. He's willing to, to be like a Gentile, and the Gentiles are seen as pagans and not knowing the real God, not observe Jewish, Jewish food laws in order to reach the Gentiles. One moment he will operate within Jewish custom, the next he won't, depending on who he's trying to reach. Paul doesn't actually care about that stuff, the stuff that gets in the way of communicating the gospel. And I like the fact he doesn't have a system or a model or a five-step rule of how to do it. There's just such freedom in it. He's just willing to change aspects of his behavior to find common ground. Again, in verse 22, just repeating it, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. It's the end game that's more important to him. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings but he's still accountable to God, and that's really important to say. But I think he would say, for the sake of the gospel, change the messenger, and that's us, not the message. So I wanna briefly look for the next few minutes at what is the message, this message that Paul passionately protects and delivers. What does it look like to be an effective messenger for us today? And what is the mission that actually we're all called to as followers of Jesus? So first of all, the message. Now, recently I was walking to Beeston, where I live, and um, a car stopped and a couple asked me for directions. And I, I absolutely knew where they wanted to go. They wanted to get to the other side of Bramcut. And in my head, I could see where they wanted to get to. And as I started doing the, you know, you go down, turn right, do you know where like Tesco is, do you know, and mention certain landmarks, 
they clearly were looking confused because they didn't know the area. So the more I was flapping my arms and going right and left, the more I was confusing them and confusing myself, to be honest. And so in the end, I said the best thing to do is go down the road, turn around, and ask somebody else, which is probably not that helpful. <clears throat> but sometimes it's like that when we're wanting to give the message of Jesus. We know what, where we want people to get to. We know kind of where we want to lead them to, but we just kind of don't do it very well in the way we communicate. There's so many words and sentences we could use to communicate. So I just thought for a little experiment, if Tom's ready, just whiz the flip chart. First of all, I just would really helpful if we just, few of us shouted out just one word, one word only, of if you think about the message of Christianity, what is it? So just shout out anything. Oh, what? Hope. Grace, love, faith, forgiveness, light, life, life, freedom, can't hear a thing, okay, that's, yeah, okay, that, grace, put grace up, Tom, we like that, like that word. <coughs> Oh, history. Let's just add that one in. So interesting, even looking at that. <laughs> Back to your seat. <laughs> even looking at that, there's, I mean, there's a lot more that I didn't hear. So all of us have had lots to say about what we think the message is. But I think, so, if, if, is this message, faith, freedom, hope, love, grace, truth, is it getting through? And it reminds me a bit like Chinese whispers, how we start off, we're all clear what we want to communicate, but where does it end up? So say I was to say to Rich, Rich, have you got a message? Good, right, would you like to start a message here and we'll just whiz it round this row and get to Helen and we'll see what it is. Do you want a microphone? At the end, oh, at the end, okay. Right, start the message. Okay. So Rich is very clear on his message. He's convicted by it. He knows what it's on about. You only get one chance, by the way. Okay, and this message is gonna go around as fast as possible. Don't talk amongst yourselves. Oh yes, they're looking inspired by this message. Oh dear, I think the message has stopped already. We might have to short-circuit short it round to... It doesn't... Oh, just come worried. I think, <laughs> I think it's only taken a couple and already we're losing, losing track. That's all right. <clears throat> okay, Nigel, that's it now. You've had enough time. People are busy, people are getting on with life. Okay, so um, me and Marion make something up, one, two, three. Say that again. Uh, me and Marion make something up, one, two, three. Okay, Rich, can you just confirm what your dynamic message was? So we, we started out with Maid Marion meticulously measures her mixture before she makes her meringues. It's complicated. <laughs> So, <laughs> I'm quite relieved it wasn't perfect, so thank you, thank you guys, because actually <laughs> it makes my point how Rich started 
with, you know, a complicated message, albeit, and within a couple of people, how easily it is um, it can get lost. And we think we're communicating well and that we're heard. I decided to do a bit of research for myself. So I asked about 30 people. I kind of got people in the cafe, some people I know in other places on the street, whatever. And I said to them, what is the message that you have heard that Christianity is? And um, I was fascinated. And these are some of the things they said, which they're coming up. I'm accepted for who I am, past and present. Get baptized, help my neighbor, peace, one God, reaching out to others, control, don't have a clue, intolerant. I'm an atheist, being nice, positive and encouraging, uplifting. But actually quite, quite a mixture there, and that's just kind of a random how, how many people. So if we think about this message, it's a timeless message. The timeless message is put perfectly in John 3, 16, 17, and it says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And that is the message of Jesus. Now we need to find words to make that kind of our own. But the message of Jesus, it carries power. And I think we forget that sometimes. It's not just a story. It's not just history. It's not just um, a nice sentiment. It's powerful. It brings life. It brings freedom. It brings healing. It brings deliverance, as it has for so many of us here today. In Colossians 1, 5 to 8 from the message, it says this, the message is as true among you today as when you first heard it. It doesn't diminish or weaken over time. It's the same all over the world. The message bears fruit and gets larger and stronger, just as it has in you. From the very first day you heard and recognized the truth of what God is doing, you've been hungry for more. It's as vigorous in you now as when you learned it. And over the centuries, there's been massive opposition because of the power in this message, in, in the message of Jesus, that people try to disprove and reject it, and over the years, and we know very much in present day, people are persecuted because they've heard the message and allowed it to like just infiltrate their lives. There was a young girl, she was 17 years old, and a man stood glaring at her, his gun in her face. Do you believe in Jesus, he said. She paused. It was a life or death question. Yes, I believe in Jesus. Why, asked the executioner, but he never gave her a chance to respond. He shot her. The teenage girl lay dead at his feet. And that wasn't some historical moment. That was in the United States of America in 1999. Another story um, from Bulgaria, a guy called, I think it's Dimitrov, I don't quite know how to pronounce that, but he could hear the dogs barking long before he reached the pit. On the way, he prayed fervently for his enemies, the guards, who then threw him down, naked to the hungry dogs. Immediately, a great howling was heard. When the officers looked down into the pit, they saw Dimitrov kneeling in prayer and the dogs in panic, barking wildly. The dogs were trying to jump the walls in order to save themselves from the strange power emanating from him. I love that story. There's power in this message. But are we so sure and impacted by the message today that we would respond like that? How would we respond? I'm really not sure. 
how I'd respond anyway. Okay, so we know kind of what the message is. I mean, I think um, the Bible gives the best example of that. We thought about it being timeless, it's powerful, but what does it mean and what, is, what does it look like to be a messenger? Again, as I said earlier, I found Paul's examples really helpful. It's really okay to adapt to enter into people's lives in a way that helps us introduce them to Jesus. And I feel excited that, you know, our presence, my presence in other people's lives on their turf is a great thing. I have to remind myself, I don't need to be fearful. You know, when we choose to follow Jesus, we're promised his Holy Spirit. We have the living God's presence within us. And I think we just forget that sometimes. We don't need to be frightened that we're going to be polluted or, you know, um, the impact on us. If we know we're with him and he's for us and he fills us up, we can trust him in the everyday, guiding us, directing us, empowering us, and often actually in really natural ways. I mentioned at the beginning that um, Tom and I recently joined a local gym, and I must admit, when I first got there, I was like, right, I've got to, I've got to be like, I'm the Christian, okay, I'm in there. And I found that I was like trying to be full on and I tried to do the miracle question, that was a complete disaster. And I tried to offer prayer for someone and that again was a complete disaster and I just was embarrassed. And then um, I thought, actually, I'm not being authentic to who I am and what God's called me to be in that setting. So I was being what I thought I ought to be rather than being kind of myself. And I needed to be myself and use the personality that God has created in me to go to the people that he's asked me to go to, to do what I do best. And for me, that's building relationship. I love doing that. And I have loved over the past few years just adapting and getting into the world of the people I've, I've met and saying yes to nights out and events and parties and building relationship, just getting to know them with no agenda. And also, you know, in the process, to be fair, I've got fit in the process, which has been quite useful. I've gone to classes and things I never thought I'd do, but it's been a really great kind of just, like I say, a marathon, not a, not a sprint. It was then, actually just a few months ago, we decided to invite a group of them around for dinner because it was, we'd been to their houses, it was just a really natural thing. So we invited them over and in fact, um, Will and Sean from this church, we invited them to come as well because we thought they looked like trendy you know, Christians, that was great. Anyway, we, so we, we invited them over again with, I did fantastic food, I loved it, hosted a great dinner party, we all sat around the table. And actually we had the opportunity, which was such a privilege, just to share a bit of our story and just, you know, just about Jesus actually not necessarily church and just what he meant to us and what, why we, we followed him. And actually, it was really natural. And, and we were interrupted about 10 times. It wasn't like we could do a little talk. It wasn't like that at all. We just were having a conversation. And then at one point, the guy at the, the end of the table, and he just said, do you know what? I think it would be really good for all of us to go around and share our stories. So we're like, wow. And I tell you, they did. And the stuff they told us about and opened up about, it was profound. And honestly, you know, at the end, the four of us were buzzing because it was like God's presence was in the room and people felt safe. And again, it was out of relationship. We'd known these guys for three years. And it was just a really exciting time. And we're on an ongoing journey with them. But I think we have to remember there's no one like you. You are unique. Who has God created you to be and to be with the people that you're meant to be with? where you just need to be yourself, empowered, yes, by God, you know, guided, all of that. 
what sort of messenger was Jesus? Because he's kind of the ultimate role model. And there's a great story in the New Testament in John 4, um, verse 4 to 24. I'm not going to read it out. I'm going to kind of paraphrase it. But basically, Jesus and his disciples were fleeing from their enemies, as they often did, and decided to go to Galilee. Now, the shortest, most direct route between Judea and Galilee was straight through Samaria. But the Jews detested the Samaritans so much that they would not think of going through um, that land. They would cross the River Jordan and make a long detour around Samaria just to avoid it. But to his disciples' surprise, Jesus led them straight through Samaria. They'd been walking nonstop since early morning, and it was nearly noon at the heat of the day. And eventually they arrived at a well. Now, they had no jug to lower down to get the water and no food, so the disciples decided to go off and get what they needed. Jesus was exhausted, so he decided to sit and rest and wait for the disciples to return. Now, I just need to stop for one second there. The first thing to note, Jesus shouldn't have been there. You know what I just said, Jews detested the Samaritans. But Jesus chose to lead the disciples through unfamiliar, unsafe territory that would mean they may well be out of their comfort zone. How often, for us as messengers of Jesus, are we prepared to go to places that may well challenge us and make us uncomfortable, where we have to adapt despite our fears, uncertainties, and the dangers we might feel? And I'm not necessarily talking about major life things here, although for some of us it will be. It'll be moving city, you know, taking up a new job, going onto the mission field, whatever it might be. But actually, for some of us, it might just be going into the staff room. It might actually be saying yes to the wild work night, the wild works night out. It might be saying yes to people that are completely different faiths to us, different lifestyles. Where do we want to avoid going? You think, oh, I'm not sure. Okay, back to the story. So after the disciples had left, Jesus heard footsteps approaching. He looked up and he saw a woman coming down the road toward the well, an empty jug in her hands. Now, for this woman to be collecting water at midday said a lot about her because it meant that probably other women didn't want to be seen with, with her because they would have come early together in the cool of the day. And this woman was the village scandal. She was despised. She'd had five husbands, and the man that she was currently living with wasn't her husband. She was probably marginalized, belittled, and full of, full of shame, and would have had a really bad reputation. Despite all this, I love that Jesus does. He wants to be seen with her. He wants to be with her. So there's Jesus in enemy territory with a scandalous woman alone in the heat of the day. Do you know, it's a head-turner. It is a scandal. It actually is an outrage. <clears throat> but then Jesus just asked her, will you give me a drink? His starting point is a question. To engage her with a need, would you give me a drink of water? He didn't demand that he, you know, she give him water. He didn't talk down to her. He didn't say, you know, you need to know who I am. You better get on your knees, woman. He didn't say, quickly, quickly, come with me to my community and join with what I'm doing over here. In fact, later on in the story, he actually goes back to her village and uh, breaks his schedule and spends time with her and the people there. But he met her where she was at and made her feel she had some value, a real sense. He was just authentic with her. And again, I was challenged, you know, to myself. 
you know, where's my starting point? Where's our starting point as we meet and engage with people over the long haul? Do we need to prove what we believe is right and we're just determined to win the argument rather than the heart? Are we worried about showing vulnerability? I've got to come across as perfect and, you know, spiritual and Christian or whatever it is. Are we fearful of people, our reputation? If I'm seen in this nightclub, you know, they're going to think that of me. Are we, you know, do we feel we need to come across more sorted than we really are? Or maybe we just feel weak and know that we might get sucked into something that will lead us to compromise, and that's scary. But sometimes I think, are we willing to enter into other people's worlds rather than expecting them to always engage with ours before we're willing to go to theirs? <clears throat> I think authenticity is so powerful, and it really does break down barriers. You know, with some of the new friends I've met, I, I'm actually... I'm just myself. I'm, I'm honest with my struggles, my weaknesses. When I've had a row with Tom, you know, I'm a work in progress. I'm by no means perfect. And in turn, people really have opened up to, to me, their stories and their lives. But they know what I'm for. They know I'm, I'm passionate about this, you know, guy called Jesus. But by relating to this woman the way Jesus does, he really has her attention. She then is all ears. She wants to listen. And he gives the message, the life-changing message, that will make sense to her. And he says this in John 4, 13. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to, come, have to keep coming here to draw water. The woman, said, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he would explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And I've just got a short clip of what it must have felt like for this woman to um, encounter Jesus the way she did. So have a look at this. I am a woman of no distinction, of little importance. I am a woman of no reputation, save that which is bad. You whisper as I pass by and cast judgmental glances, though you don't really take the time to look at me or even get to know me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known, and otherwise, what's the point in doing either one of them in the first place? I want to be known. I want someone to look at my face and not just see two eyes, a nose, a mouth, and two ears, but to see all that I am and could be, all my hopes, loves, and fears. That's too much to hope for, to wish for pray for so I don't not anymore now I keep to myself and by that I mean the pain, pain that keeps me in my own private jail the pain that's brought me here at midday this well to ask for a drink is no big request but to ask it of me a woman unclean ashamed used and abused an outcast a failure a disappointment a sinner no drink passing from these hands to your lips could ever be refreshing only condemning as I'm sure you condemn me now but you don't you're a man of no distinction, though of the utmost importance. A man with little reputation, at least so far. You whisper and tell me to my face what all those glances have been about, and you take the time to really look at me. But don't need to get to know me, for to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And you know me. You actually know me. All of me and everything about me. Every thought inside and hair on top of my head. Every hurt stored up. Every hope. Every dread. My past and my future. All I am and could be. You tell me everything. You tell me about me and that which is spoken by another would bring hate and condemnation coming from you brings love grace mercy hope and salvation i've heard of one to come who would save a wretch like me and here in my presence you say i am he 
To be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And I just met you, but I love you. I don't know you, but I want to get to. Let me run back to town. This is way too much for just me. There are others, brothers, sisters, lovers, haters, the good and the bad, sinners and saints, who should hear what you've told me, who should see what you've shown me, who should taste what you gave me, who should feel how you forgave me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And they all need this too. We all do need it for our own. Powerful, isn't it? But imagine if we could have the same impact on those that we are called to be with, to work alongside, to socialize with, just part of our everyday lives. Do we want to follow in Jesus' footsteps and be like him? Because if we do, he was illogical sometimes at the people he decided to be with and where he went. He broke the rules and rituals, which for someone like me is quite a scary thought. He offended the religious. We might offend some Christians, but he was authentic. He was vulnerable. He met people on common ground physically and emotionally, and then gave his life-giving, uncompromising message. You might say to, today, you know, well, I'm just not in that place. I just don't have the kind of energy. I'm, I'm tired, and that's okay. Maybe life has beaten, beaten us down. Maybe we've lost our first love, and we just need a fresh encounter with Jesus. Maybe we've got tired, you know, you've been in the, whoever you've been with for years and there seems to be no fruit from it, no difference. Maybe there's just been disappointment after disappointment and you've just kind of lost the energy. And maybe we sometimes lose, and I think we do, the reality of the incredible message of Jesus and the power that's in it. I saw this picture the other day. Um, I think it's going to come up, yeah. And when the artist was asked, you know, what is the story behind it, she said, we become like the one we gaze upon. And actually, I think sometimes all of what I've said today is all well and good, but behind it all, unless we are really just gazing upon Jesus and who he is, it's only out of that place that actually we can be who he's called us to be and be empowered to go as effective messengers for him. So we have a powerful, time, timeless message we need to be authentic messages full of his presence that then leads to my final short point. What is the mission? Well, it's really simple. The mission is people. God loves people. People are his priority, and you see it throughout the whole of the Bible. Are they ours? He has chosen to work through people to be his messengers and take his message. And that's you, and that's me. And you know, it's so encouraging when I think of Paul, you know, no one is disqualified. You know, his background was pretty bad. And also it made me think, who was the messenger that came to each one of us, or those that decided to follow Jesus? It probably came through a person, in some way was part of that story. So there's people out there waiting for us. Where are you placed now? Because it's probably where God's put you in the families that we're in, in the workplaces we're in, in the universities, the hobbies we do, whatever. People with different views, opinions, cultures, faiths, outlooks on life. Who are we influencing, spending time with? And more importantly, who are we committed to for the long haul? Are we prepared, or what are we prepared, to risk to reach others? And I just want to encourage us today to persevere for the long haul. 
You know, as I said, going back to Tom and I joining this gym, you know, it's been, I think it's three years now. And only now, Alpha's coming up on Friday, does it feel completely appropriate to invite a bunch to come? And I've been able to do that. And it's not even felt that awkward because I've been to lots of things and now it's like, oh, do you want to come to this thing? And, and actually, they've been quite open. Maybe there's somebody you think, goodness, I've been doing this stuff for years and years and actually, God's going to honor that now and say, yeah, this is the time. You know, be brave, step out. For me, the guys I've invited, they may come, they may not. I, I don't know, but actually... It doesn't matter because I'm going to continue to be their friends. I'm going to continue to relate to them, whatever their choices are, whether they come to what I want or not. Because the truth is sometimes, well, we are it. As people, we are it to go out there and be the messengers we're called to be. So we need to keep going. A man named uh, J.K. Johnston studied the Gospels and he asked this question as he poured over Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Where did Jesus meet and engage people? The Gospels recorded 132 um, contacts Jesus made with people. Six were in the temple, four were in the synagogues, and 122 were with people in their daily walks of life. And that's where we needed to take the message as the messengers were called to be on the mission that each one of us has. And then hopefully we can fulfill what it says in Philippians 2 verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in submission of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue confess and openly acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, sovereign God, to the glory of God the Father.